Welcome to Grace in Public, preaching and teaching in the heartland and all around the world. And now we'll go straight to our main message. This week we have been dealing with some very vital subjects. We've been dealing with the principle of cosmic loneliness. How that man and every woman, without certain spiritual values, regardless how long they've been saved, have a problem with undefined anxiety. Others have problems with normal anxiety, and, but they do not repress the problem because they take care of it. But still a third class has neurotic anxiety. That's when they magnify the problem overwhelmingly, continually, then it's repressed, then it distorts their capacity for any area of life and human responsibility in the subjective realm of their emotions. But perhaps the greatest thing that we've learned this week, David Reisman's book on the lonely crowd, is pertaining to teenagers. The teenagers at this present time across this nation cannot define their anxiety. They don't even know it's anxiety. So it causes them for a period of time to separate or enter into separation because of anxiety. And when they separate, they're very much aware of their separation and it produces human loneliness. As human loneliness takes over the teenager, then cosmic loneliness sets in. Subjective fears of the unknown. And no matter how much you're around people, cosmic loneliness really establishes a pattern of behavior in our lives. Cosmic loneliness. Comedians have often said when they get done with a nationwide performance on TV and private interviews, They've often expressed their cosmic loneliness. They don't call it cosmic, but they feel that there's no one that really knows them or cares and that every relationship they have is what psychiatrists call parliamentary relationships, meaning the parliamentary spirit means that you're down in Washington and you work together and you make decisions together, but nobody knows each other. That's the parliamentary spirit. And these entertainers in Hollywood... Recently, several of them testified who've had to have help in alcoholic rehabilitation programs. And they said, nobody really knows us and we feel extremely lonely. One person, after receiving a tremendous reward last year, had depression for 14 days after being one of the greatest actresses in the year of the year. Cosmic loneliness. Success didn't change it. Acceptance didn't exchange it. Popularity, clothes, money, and all of these things did not resolve a problem of cosmic loneliness. This particular actress said that when she was uh, done a performance, went to a party, the party stimulated her. She enjoyed it for a couple of hours. And then she would get back to her room and have to get up at 4.30 the next morning for makeup, three hours and a half, and then with her hair. And she said that she was constantly haunted with unhappiness. 
and yet she was considered the third best-looking woman in Hollywood. Cosmic loneliness. Cosmic loneliness always leads to four kinds of depression depending upon the temperament. The first one, depression, is melancholic. Dissatisfied with your own production because of idealistic standards without reality and practical understanding. The second one is aggressive depression, which is violent depression, blaming everybody under the sun from years back and becoming violent in the emotions. The third type of depression is passive, not wanting to get up in the morning and not wanting to deal with any kind of level of problem. And the fourth kind of depression is a series of diverse moods, high one day, down that night, down the next day, and up the afternoon, depending upon circumstances. And these four depressions follow cosmic loneliness. So what do the teenagers do, according to David Reisman? They join the herd, and they forget, begin to take drugs, alcohol, immorality, College means nothing except they have to perform for their parents. And the parents do not understand their cosmic loneliness because the parents, too, are having the same problem on another level and don't even know it themselves. So they look for an example and help, and how can they get it? The poor parents can't give them anything but so-called temporal security with no significance of reality. So David Reisman says it goes like this. There's never been a time in America, he said, when people did not want to get ahead. He said thousands of college students deliberately didn't do as well as they could because they didn't want to excel the other students. Competition would take them out of the herd package. What happened as they joined the herd in the way they do? Well... Immediately, they lose their identity and any possible for proper potential development. Losing their identity and experiencing stimulation, certainly, for a season, but only to discover that they're not making progress and cosmic loneliness caused 17,000 to commit suicide last year, 10,000 reported it, 17,000 did it, and 500,000 tried it. So, all because of this compound psychological structure called cosmic loneliness. What happens in cosmic loneliness? Undefined anxiety produces separation for a season, at least mental separation, if not physical separation. Then, finally, human loneliness then cosmic loneliness, and then the herd, and then a loss of identity, and not any desire to compete and do our best. This perhaps characterizes to some degree what happened at the cross of Calvary. As we consider the people that were there that watched Jesus die, we taught a message this morning on dynamism. Dynamism from the standpoint of the human character. That that goes beyond the organism. Dynamism, D-Y-N-A-M-I-S-M, is simply this. Someone taking their energies 
and transferring them into the wrong behavioral patterns. Take their energies and direct them into wrong behavioral patterns. Now, if we could understand the principle of dynamism from the standpoint of the dear beline that we mentioned today on telephone time, dear beline, dear beline is simply the work of Satan's system on the subjects that make themselves available for it. Dear beline means to interfere, to destroy mankind. It's a work of destruction from Diabolicus, the slanderer, the maligner, the devil. So here's what happens. The Diabolion comes in, Satan, and he begins to take advantage of recent circumstances that happen in your life or a series of circumstances that have happened over a period of years. The past troubles you, causes an undefined anxiety. This causes you a feeling of having to have people or a sense of separation. When human loneliness gets in and cosmic loneliness follows, one form of depression always takes place and then dynamism always comes in. When you begin to take your God-given energies from logistical grace, and place those energies into fear. Then you have the dynamism of fear. Or you take those energies to pursue some worldly release from bar rooms or dances or whatever in the world excessively. Wicked, the wicked part of the world system, and I don't mean everything you do like that is wicked for you, but I'm talking about a principle when you follow and pursue the cosmic system, then it becomes a dynamism of worldly pursuit. People that constantly go out on their wives have a dynamism of lust. And dynamism always follows depression for those that do not have it checked by God, by grace, or by Jesus Christ's solutions. Now then, in view of this, the next thing that we learned this week is thousands and millions of people begin to enter in to the self-system. The self-system is very, very simple. Kevin Hall and his contemporary wrote a lot of chapters on this subject in three different books. And here it is, the self-system, where man has to insulate himself from having pain and wounds and emotional hurts that he's had in the past. And true information, honest objective truth, is rejected totally if he can protect himself from having the same thing happen. It's a self-system of defense. Now, at the cross, there was a mob. The Pharisees were there, the scribes, the Sanhedrin, the Roman soldiers, the army officers, the brutal soldiers that stripped him, put nails in his hands and feet, the crowd that was saying, Hosanna, son of David, on Palm Sunday, they were there in masses. Those that were part of the 5,000, 
that were fed with the five loaves and two fishes, and four thousand, they were there. Many of them were there. The blind that had been healed, they were there. The lepers that had been healed, they were there. The prostitutes that had been saved by grace, they were there. And the amazing, diverse group, saints and sinners, were all there. But they all watched him die. Where was the inner circle? Mary, Magdalene, Mary, his mother, and John became the only three that made up the inner circle. Joseph of Arimathea, the Bible says in John 19.39, a disciple of Jesus, but secretly feared the Jews. He was a member of the 70 council of the Sanhedrin that ran the city. He was there, but until the spear went to Jesus' side, he was silent. Nicodemus was there who came to Jesus by night, but he was silent for the same reason he feared persecution. So these individuals, the laughing mob, the serious mob, they were all there and they gathered around Calvary watching him die. None of them spoke up. Joseph of Arimathea had access to the pilot. Pilate was there, but because of political expediency, he will wash his hands and try to be okay with God after he receives the message from his wife. Not to do it because of her dream, not to convict this just man. But he does it and turns it over to them and blames it on them and washes his hands in innocence when he was really totally guilty. Pilate's in hell tonight. Scores and scores of people watched him die. They're in hell tonight. What happened to them? They had the set system. These individuals that were gathered at the cross were able to gaze at this beautiful Savior and look upon his naked body. Many of them could see the blood as it dripped from his side down to his feet. They looked into his crown of thorns. They watched and gazed at the nails that were in his hand and feet. With an unholy gaze, they looked upon his precious body. And there he was, dying, becoming the guilty one, and bearing their sins and ours. And they just watched him die. The coward was there. The secret believer was there, silent. And perhaps... Upon a little hill not too far away were his disciples, backslidden. They were there, but from a distance. I thought about it today and considered the, my own life, considered the seriousness of the cross and remembered some of the great hymns that Fanny Crosby wrote, that beautiful lady that was blind who said that God allowed her to be blind and she wrote 8,000 hymns because Jesus came alive in her heart. She knew why she didn't receive her healing. Something that wasn't good, he made something good out of. And she heard it and honored him. And she wrote that hymn, Jesus, keep me near the cross. Jesus, keep me near the cross. Well, the problem is 
thousands of believers watch the cross today. They're saved. But the cross is not accepted. Why? I want you to see something. Rollo May wrote in three chapters of his book on the Dear Beline. He wrote this. That the forces of evil in this world, Rollo May, as many of you know, Harvard University, Rockefeller Institute, considered, I believe, to be the leading psychologist for quite a while in the nation. And uh, he said three, spent three chapters of the satanic world from the psychiatric point of view. And this is what he said. Number one, the evil forces produce nudity. And nudity, he meant something more than being naked. Secondly, aggressiveness, violence. And thirdly, schizophrenia, split personality. As I read what he said about the devil from a psychiatric viewpoint, I began to think of the young man in the Gadarenes. He was naked. He was violent. They had to chain him in to hold him down. And, and yet very young. And Jesus said, what is your name? And he said, my name is Legion, for we are many. Legion was seven, six thousand soldiers, rather, in the Roman army. Abraham, who was Abram, fell on his face for thirteen years, going in with Hagar and producing Ishmael after the flesh, the wild man. At thirteen years of silence, and Abraham did not repent or get right. God came to him in Genesis 17 and for the first time said, Abram, I am Al Shaddai. Walk before me. Get up from your face. Al Shaddai. El, strong, nourisher, strength. Shaddai, breast, the breasted one. And it meant that I am the strong one that will give you strength and nourish you and give you grace. So get up. You failed for 13 years. You're miserable. You're a failure. But I'm here, the, the El Shaddai. Get up and stop walking. I'm still going to give you the promised child. You have denied me. You do not believe me. You disobeyed me. You went against me. But you're still going to have Isaac. It depends upon me. I will give you the strength for your weak, frail, compromising body. And I'll give you grace. Mercy, love, and I'll pour it into your soul. Get up! Now, don't be occupied with your defeat. Don't be occupied with the miserable 99 years of age concept that it can't happen. I'll do a miracle. I'll perform a miracle of grace with your wife and you. So walk before me. I'm El Shaddai. I want you to see that if God's people... I don't care what their problem is or what our problem is. We don't accept oppression as a way of life. And we don't accept anxiety to overwhelm and frustrate our capacity for strength and health, nourishment from the great I Am. We believe God. And there isn't a single problem in all this world that the great I Am, the great El Shaddai, 30 times his name was used in the book of Job. Job was occupied in the 29th chapter with human good and Al Shaddai came in. Over and over again, it was Al Shaddai to Job. Al Shaddai, I am God Almighty. 
I will. Seven consecutive, unconditional I wills given to Abram as his name was changed to Abraham. Seven consecutive, unconditional I will from the, from the great I am. Now, that's what grace is all about. I will. Dynamisms go. Cosmic loneliness is dispelled. Undefined anxiety and its undefined effects in the maladjustments of the emotional structures are released. Man's desire to be a part of the crowd in drinking and immorality and all the things he uses for temporary stimulation. The great I am comes in and that individual begins to practice the presence of God. Insecurity is a man. Emotional problems as a woman faces the reality of God. We have, a, we have God's attitude for everything and His love and His grace and His power and His willingness to give us something unconditional. Thank you for tuning in. If you can, don't forget to send a tax-deductible gift to us. Your generous donation made to our program promotes this broadcast and ones like it going out on the Internet and broadcast on local stations throughout the United States. So please prayerfully consider what you can give. Find out how to give your donation at www.graceandpublic.com Now this is amazing. This whole chapter, 2 Samuel 22, is basically a song that David wrote. Um, and it's instead of it being recorded in the Psalms, it's recorded right here in the Scripture. And it's when uh, God had delivered him out of the hands of Saul. And in verse 35, it's a very beautiful song if you read all the way through, but starting in verse 33. God is my strength and power. He maketh my way perfect. He maketh my feet like hinds feet. And setteth me upon my high places. He teacheth my hands to war so that a bow of steel is broken by mine arms. Thou hast given me the shield of thy salvation, and thy greatness hath made me great. My, thy gentleness hath made me great. Thou hast enlarged my steps under me, so that my feet did not slip. Now, it's an amazing um, passage, and uh, it's speaking about the empowering of God, the God... God empowers the people of God. And He does incredible things in their lives. All of us, when we first came to Christ, depending on what age we did and what we had gone through before that, maybe, had came with different capacities. And the moment that we got saved, God did all these amazing things in our, in our life that we had no idea about at that moment. And only through the passage of time and learning the Word of God do we realize exactly how much he did. But mainstream Christianity basically teaches that that God makes you better. That he takes what we would call the old sin nature and the old man and fixes it and sanctifies it and fixes you. That's not the process at all. That there is a transforming power that happens, but it happens because God has made us a new person at that moment who's declared us to be new. We're born again by the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. 
which liveth and abideth forever. We're made new creatures. We're made sons. The same way that Jesus was born from a virgin by the power of the Holy Spirit, we also are reborn by the power of the Holy Spirit and made into new people. Now, it's this new person that God is going to strengthen. And it's this capacity that grows and grows. Now, there are a couple of things that can happen there. Um, we don't. Growth and comes along with discipleship. Because we're saved, we are perfect at that moment. But we will not experientially realize that perfection unless we enter into discipleship. And it is in discipleship, as we learn and grow, that God will strengthen our capacity and will show us that we live a supernatural life and the evidence of that will become apparent. What's happened a lot of times because of our soul has been hurt. Sometimes when we were children, sometimes after we've become Christians, by many things, there are many ways that are, we can get damaged in our emotions. And things happen and, they, and that little area can get isolated from the rest of our soul and it becomes an island where in our consciousness, in our subconscious mind, certain habits happen and we retreat to this island that doesn't seem to get touched by, by the Word of God and the power of God. And it's amazing the contradiction that can happen, that we can abide, we can sin, and keep doing it over and over and over again, knowing it's wrong, as almost a compulsion, that these sins exist in our lives, yet it's not who we are. I say it again, it's not who we are. Don't ever believe that it's who, who you are. It's not who you are. It isn't who you are. What's happened is there are areas that get stranded off because of pain, because of the work of the enemy. But God's desire is that line upon line, precept upon precept, God builds bridges to these areas in our soul. And that area that's a barren waste place that we seem to have no control over, that suddenly a day comes as we continue forward in the life of God, believing the truth of the Word of God, not walking by sight, not walking by what we think we know, but abiding in the book. When we abide in the book, something happens. And one day we go to reach that, that bow and to pull it back, and it bursts in our hands because God has done something. He's done something. He's bridged the gap to that island, and he's made it a fertile place. He's, he's taken us out into that desert, and sometimes it happens through suffering, through cataclysmic events, through cataclysmic events that rock our soul, that cause the whole terrain of our life to change. Why? Because God wants to reach these places that we would not ever be able to reach, that man would not be able to reach, that psychology would not be able to reach, that no human being even maybe knows about, but God knows. And he doesn't condemn us for it. He cares so much about us that he does things and allows things to happen in our lives that we would be redeemed. That, and then that place becomes a stronghold, a fortress, a fortress in our lives. That we look at and go, God, look, God, my God is, is amazing. My God heals the brokenhearted. My God comes through. My God is beautiful for situations. 
We'd love to hear from you, so please go to our website and contact us. The web address is www.graceinpublic.com. Yes, well, we know that this life is filled with great joy and great um, hope. There's also a loneliness that we experience in the world, and wasn't that a great message? Dealing with that topic, this cosmic loneliness, the loneliness of being a person made in the image of God, and yet um, living in a cosmic system. And uh, these areas of our lives that, uh, that seem isolated, they seem cut off, that God has a method to bridge these islands of our soul, to take us integrity. It's an interesting word. It means that you're one whole being. You have integrity. There's no separateness. There's no division. There's no contradiction. Integrity means that the whole is brought together and that all of the parts are fitting and operating as they should. God wants to make us people of integrity, not moral integrity only. (laughs) A spiritual life produces moral integrity, but people who are whole, that the fragmentation of our personalities would be brought together into one whole, new, healthy, spiritual person. You can have that today. You can... You can at least enter into that process. You um, can enter into the kingdom of God. And God has great healing for those that are his in a progressive process, an initial healing and then a progressive healing. And then there's that eventual total healing that we get, that ultimate sanctification where this corruptible puts on incorruptible. And every wrong will be made right. And we will no longer even have a capacity to sin. But for those out there who are not yet His, you can be. God has an answer for you. That answer is in the person of His Son. So first, you need to get to know Him. And that first step is to believe in Him. To believe in His death, burial, and resurrection. Believe in the great gift that He is so eager to give you, which is entrance into the kingdom of God by being washed and cleansed through his shed blood on your behalf. I urge you to cry out to him now. Ask him to come into your life. Ask him to make you his. And he will do that. You believe in him. He will do all the work. Once that's accomplished, then you enter into a process of healing by getting to know him. Thank you for tuning in today. Pray God would bless you this week. Those of you who have received Christ as your Savior, please contact us. We'd love to get in touch with you, help you along your walk. Thank you so much, Lord. We praise you. We love you. You are awesome. In Jesus' name, amen.